Father, we do come in the name of Jesus, Lord, um, thanking you, Father, for your word. Lord, we thank you for these truths that we've been singing about tonight, promises that we uh, look forward to, the fulfillment of these promises that we look forward to, Lord, one day joining you, being with you forever and ever. Lord, we're thankful for your saving grace. We're thankful that you chose to love us, to bring us to yourself, though there was nothing within us to provoke that. It's just your grace, your mercy. Lord, help us tonight, as always, to be aware of those things as we, again, look at your word. Father, we ask for understanding. We ask that, Lord, your truth would have your desired effect. We pray that it would generate greater thanksgiving within our hearts and increase our knowledge of you and our love for you and our passion to do your will. We ask that you grant these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's look again at John chapter 9. And uh, this sort of puts me in mind, I mean, it's similar in some ways, um, with a story that Jesus uh, tells and parable that Jesus tells in Luke 16. And what I mean by that is this. I'm, I'm talking about what is commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. And really, the more I've... I've uh, Looked at that over the years and and um, heard messages on it and read material on it and and uh, meditated on it like we've been talking about <laughs> in Sunday school. Um, yeah, I've kind of got a, a new name for it, and it's the uh, the prodigal sons, plural, because that really is what it's about. Um, Jesus in there in Luke tells the story of two prodigals. And I think one reason we don't look at it that way is because the term prodigal is also are often misunderstood, um, or at least it was by me. I don't maybe maybe it's not by you, but the the term prodigal means wasteful, and uh, that is indeed. If you you read that parable, you 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 find out it's it's the story of two wasteful sons. Now they just play that out in two different ways. Uh, one of them. Um, is you know what we might call today the wild child. I mean, he 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 winds up asking his father for early uh, payment of his inheritance, and he goes out. And when that's very disrespectful, by the way, but but he goes out and blows it all, wastes it all, and then returns home with nothing. And and so it's easy, you know, for everybody to look at that and and identify him as a prodigal. And I think that's why it does get referred to in the singular so often the prodigal son. It's as though it were totally focused on him. But there's another um, character in that, in that parable as well who's equally, if not more so, wasteful. But it just plays out in a different way. And that's the elder brother who remains, has all the appearance of being loyal, all the appearance of doing his father's will, 
Um, and yet we find out at the end of the story, he wasn't rejoicing in his father's fellowship, really, any more than the younger one was. And in fact, he's, he's so caught up in his own self and his own um, view of himself as, as being righteous uh, for having been loyal, quote-unquote, he's so caught up in all that that he cannot even bring himself to rejoice when his brother, wayward brother, returns home and his father receives him, gladly receives him. He's offended by that. Now, all of that, um, Jesus is telling that parable, and, and uh, I think his primary focus there is um, the elder brother. He's telling it to the Pharisees, and they are pictured in that parable as the elder brother. Uh, as they are watching prostitutes and tax collectors come into the kingdom, there's no dancing and uh, flute playing and um, singing and rejoicing. There's just criticism and disdain. And so Jesus gives them that parable to give them a mirror picture of themselves. Well, here, um, I, I think we can kind of come at this passage in a, in a similar vein and, and you, you look at it from two perspectives. One is the blind man who is healed by Jesus. The other perspective which, which it can be approached um, with is looking at these different groups of people who are standing by. And somewhat like the elder brother in the parable, parable of the prodigal sons, um, they're not rejoicing. They have no compassion. They have no joy over what is taking place, God's redemptive mercy. They just find fault. Now sometimes, like the first group, um, they're just kind of bewildered and, and uh, not really believing what they're seeing. What is taking place is so foreign to them that they're, not, um, they're just not quite understanding it. Now we read through, that this, through this this morning, so I want to approach this this way here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what we the verses we stopped at this morning, and then I want to go back and just consider some things all the way through and uh, just, just kind of look at some danger signs, some warning signs that Jesus is giving here. So first of all, let's start in, in verse 39. Jesus said, chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Okay, so... Let's just go back and, and uh, consider some of this again. I skipped over a lot of detail this morning, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get all the detail in tonight. <laughs> but but, uh, but uh, we're going to try to look at some of it that we skipped over and, uh, and, and also consider it from that, from that light. So, a couple of things to note. First of all, we'll go, let's go back to verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And I, so I want to do a couple of things here. 
Uh, I want to, uh, again, consider some application, maybe, maybe uh, pick up some things that I missed this morning. Uh, hopefully, if not, you know, maybe y'all can uh, help me uh, recognize them and point them out here. But I want to make some application that we may have overlooked this morning and then at the same time come at it from that other perspective too, uh, that of the Pharisees and the parents and the neighbors and friends that are standing by witnessing all this and not exactly getting, getting excited about it. Um, so that, that's just kind of a, uh, an interesting view there. But first of all, he, it says he, he came across a, a man who was born blind, all right? Blind from birth. So as I mentioned this morning, there's some spirit, spiritual application here. And this is one of the things I want to note that, that I think uh, also plays a part in what Jesus is teaching here. Um, there's some parallels between this physical healing, this physical healing event that is taking place and what actually happens spiritually when a person is born again. When a person is confronted, we might say, by the light, the light of the world. Or are we going to, you know, just to use a song, the words of a song similar to what we were singing a while ago, I saw the light, right? So something happens when, in truth, a person sees the light. Things take place. So, first of all, you've got to be in darkness for it to even matter. And that's what the condition of this man is. And I think, again, there's a parallel here because all people, spiritually speaking, are in darkness from the beginning. And I would say it would, it would be, I think, right and scriptural to say, um, we, we, we usually use the you know, birth as a reference when we talk about people coming into, into being. I mean, that's just kind of a, uh, a, a habit, colloquial or whatever. It's not something we try to be real precise on. We, we, we look back and say, uh, as the beginning birth or when they were born. Well, the truth is, we all know, it's nine months prior to that, right? Uh, generally speaking. So really when we come into being is, is at conception. And I think the Scripture bears that out. There's, there's passages like Jeremiah 1 and Psalm 119 where um, different authors of Scripture talk about being known and even called um, while they were in the womb, before birth. Uh, we have record of John the Baptist leaping, right? Leaping. That's interesting. We were, this morning, we, we, uh, because of the question the disciples asked here, we, we just, for a moment, you know, we, we, we mentioned and thought about the possibility of sinning in the womb. And I'm, that's about as far as I'm willing to go with that because I'd have to go into speculation, <laughs> speculation to go any further with it. But at least the, at least the disciples seem to think it was a possibility. Whether it was or not, they, they seem to have that, that concept. Um, well, we do know this. There's, there's definitely possible to rejoice. That is, to respond rightly to the presence of the Son of God. Um, that's what John the Baptist did, uh, just, just in the same room while he's still in the womb and while Jesus is still in the, in the womb. Uh, so, we exist before birth, and we are sinners from our beginning. So, like this man, except I'm applying it spiritually, we are blind from the beginning, from our start. 
And, and boy, there's a lot. You just take that and, and along with what's, what's being said here, and there's a lot of interesting things to think about. Um, you know, who, who sinned? The question is, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. And the idea is not that they were not sinners. They were sinners. His, he was a sinner conceived in sin, which is the very point I'm trying to make here. And he was definitely conceived in sin. And his parents were sinners. So in, in verse... Three, when Jesus, uh, in fact, I like the way the, the ESV brings it across here. He, he says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Because Jesus is not saying that they are not sinners. He's not saying they did not sin. He's saying there's not a direct connection between some specific sin that they committed and this man's blindness. It's not the result of some, it's not the direct result of some particular sin that they committed. So Jesus makes that clear. So this man didn't do anything that would result in his being blind. And though you and I are certainly sinners in reality, and you know, we, we, we are sinners in, in, in our, the fact that we sin, I mean, we do sinful works, but Initially, we inherited that rebellious attitude, that sin nature, from our parents who inherited it from their parents and all the way up the line, all the way up to Adam and Eve. So, sin and the consequences that we face are first the result of the imputed, the imputed sinfulness of Adam imputed to us. And then because we have inherited that same sinful nature, we act on it and we ourselves sin. So there's sin and there's consequences of sin because of the fallen nature of this world. And Jesus points out here that all of this, and, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm making a broad application here, but I, but I think uh, rightly so, based on the rest of what Scripture teaches, but at least in this case, Jesus is saying, this is for the glory of God. Now, I think, again, you can take that and make a broader application. People ask all the time, why is there evil in the world? And it's tough to give an explanation for that, isn't it? It's something that we need to think about because people ask. And we need to take Peter's advice and be ready to give an answer for the... Um, for the reason that we have hope and for other things as well insofar as we can. Now, I think we're limited on how far we can go in answering that question, but we can say this. God is working all things out for the good of His people and for His own glory. And that's what He has in view. Ultimately, in everything that God does, He is, he is um, doing it with the goal of bringing glory to Himself. And so I think it's safe to make... Uh, what Jesus says here, just to kind of give a broad application to it. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So there's sin in the world because God, the works of God will be displayed in the world because of it. Now how is that? Well, <laughs> He sends His only Son to die for sinners and to redeem a people to Himself. 
Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says, brings many sons to glory. So sin brings us down, so to speak, in, in Adam. And then in Christ, we are resurrected, we are restored, we are reconciled. We're brought back. So it was not, um, uh, in, in this case, Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. And I think, uh, again, you, you, could, you could say that about all things in general. It is so that the works of God might be displayed. It's God going public. As one writer puts it, God going public with His glory. And that's His reasoning behind it. And sometimes we can't get any more detailed than that. We just trust God that He knows what He's doing. And He's working, as 828, uh, Romans 8.28 says, working all things for our glory. Right? I mean, for our good, for His glory. Alright, so, um, everybody's born blind, spiritually speaking. So there's application here for us, even though you, you and I may not have been born physically blind and we may not have, may not have experienced um, physical um, healing in that sense. But we've all been born blind, spiritually speaking. We've all inherited the sin nature and we're all sinners. And God is glorified through giving sight, light to those who cannot see, to those who are in darkness. And so Jesus says, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, again, verse 4, I think there's more application. Jesus tells, and notice it's, it's the plural, the pronoun there, we. He tells His disciples, we must work. We must work the works of Him who sent me. And, and notice that is singular. It's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't, he doesn't, they are going to be sent, but He doesn't refer to them as being sent at that time by the Father. He's the only one who is sent by the Father. He's unique in that sense. But He says, nevertheless, we must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So there's, there's good application for us too. We must be about God's business. We must be doing the works of Him. Um, in this case, we could say, in Him who sent us, Jesus, who sent us out um, to preach the gospel. We must be about His, His business. Why? Because there's a lot of darkness out there. <laughs> there's a lot of darkness. And you go to John, uh, Matthew rather, Matthew 5, and Jesus tells the disciples, you are the light of the world. It takes the very same phraseology that he uses about himself here, in a different sense, of course. Uh, we're, not, we're not the light of the world in, in the same way that he's the light of the world, um, but similar, in a similar way. So he tells the disciples, you are the light of the world. And he says, let your light shine. We must be about, um, about the Father's business. We must work the works of Him who sent me, Jesus says. Well, let me skip on down a little bit um, to verse, about verse 9 here. And I kind of touched on this this morning. But Now, this is after Jesus heals the man. And here's, here begins some of the doubt and the discussion. In this case, it's, between the, uh, uh, it's going on among neighbors and those who had witnessed the event in verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before he, before as a beggar, were saying, um, you, "You know, and 
stop myself and thought and hopefully remember where I left off. But, but uh, <laughs> you know, this morning, um, I, I kind of skipped over that part, but I was thinking when I was talking about we, we, uh, there being a radical change. We had, a, we had a, a before and an after, a then and a now. So this man, Jesus tells him to go wash in the, in the pool of Siloam, and he goes in obedience. And in the Scripture, John says, um, plainly as he's prone to do, John says, he came back seeing. So there's a, there's a radical change there. And I was, I was just thinking about that, applying that spiritually. I mean, it's the same way with us. And here he is, the crowd's looking at him and saying, is this the same man that we saw begging? He was, he was a blind beggar. A blind beggar. And spiritually, that's the way it is with every believer. We, we were in darkness. and it, it, The picture you get, again, spiritually, because we can see with our physical eyes, so I mean, we, don't, we don't think we have a problem getting around. But spiritually... We're groping in the dark before Christ intervenes. We're, and this is still the case with everybody that's lost. You're, you're groping in the dark and you don't know where you're going. And there's things in the way. There's things to stumble over. If you ever try to navigate a pitch black room, you know it's dangerous you can get hurt, especially if your wife moves the furniture around you know, that day and you're unaware about that. You can get hurt. And that's, that's us without Christ. We're, we're groping in the dark, not knowing where we're going. And we're, we're, we're blind beggars. And I, you, you, we just, we beg. We, we beg. And, and this is one of the strange things. I think about this a lot of times. Um, I mean, this, this is the way the world does, the way we did as well. We, we, we're beggars of chance. I mean, we're just hoping and begging, right? We, people who don't have Christ... They, they believe in some form of chance or karma or something like that. And they're just begging and hoping that things are going to be favorable. Things are going to go their way. So it's kind of like you, you take off running through a pitch black room hoping that you're in line with the hallway. Or, you know, like if it were this room, I just blast off running hoping that I just happen to be lined up with the aisle here. When in reality, you're in pitch black darkness and you don't know, so it's just kind of like begging against chance. And that's the way people go through life. I hope I'm getting it right. Please let me get it right. Please, just, just begging against chance as though it were something. Or karma, you know, you do, a, you do enough good things and, and it'll somehow be returned back to you and you'll kind of make it through as you're groping and trying to find your way. So he was a blind beggar and these people saw that and they couldn't believe it was the same man because now they see him seeing. They know that he's healed. There must be a difference, right? <laughs> there must be a difference between somebody who's groping and begging and somebody who sees plainly and can navigate around the obstacles. Because these are some of these people are just onlookers and they notice. And they're so stunned by it, they're not sure it's the same guy. Is, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no. But he is like him. Uh, I, want, I think about that too, you know. Just kind of bring it back to us for a moment. I wonder if people sit around, people that have known us, you know, before and after regeneration, and say, is this the same guy? 
Is this the same lady? Is this the same girl that I knew before? I mean, it looks like her. I don't know. It looks like him. No, it's just, that's what it is. It's just somebody that looks like him. Family members, maybe. Did they say, is this the same guy? I imagine, you know, I don't know if Paul uh, formerly saw at Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. I don't know if he went to family reunions or not, but certainly they would have said, oh, cousin Saul over there, he wants us to call him Paul now, but is, is that the same guy? That same old club, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's the same guy who was dragging Christians off the court. Something happened to him. What happened to him? I'm not sure it's the same guy. Remember the old, whatever that old movie was, you know, who are you and what have you done with Saul, you know? Yeah, the body snatchers or something like that. That's probably what they were saying. Who are you and what have you done with Saul? He was a new man. Different man. This is a new man. And they can't believe it. So some of them are saying, well, he's like him. And he kept saying, he's in the midst of this. This is just, like I said, I mentioned this morning. It's always just kind of funny to me. But there happen, it's, I get this picture of them having a discussion like he's not there. And people will do that to you sometimes. <laughs> you get this discussion going like he's not there. Is that the guy? Well, I don't know. It kind of looks like him. And he say, he's saying all the while, I'm the man, I'm the man, it's me, it's me. Well, um, there's some application there too, because we definitely need to trumpet that, don't we? I'm the man in this sense. I'm the man, that was me, I was a blind beggar, but now I'm saved. Jesus saved me. I once was lost. Again, John Newton, that's what he was saying. I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Been a change. He wants, John Newton's case, he wants transported slaves. He was the captain of a slave ship. If you know anything about those, you, you know they were pretty rough. I once called slaves now I'm a slave to Christ and I love all men radical change radical change so we, we got to we, we must be about God's work that is we must work the works of God and keep saying uh, yes I'm the man I'm the man Jesus has set me free he's given me sight now these people take him and I don't know that they had any malicious intent here it's hard to tell. Uh, maybe they're just looking for confirmation. But they take him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. I mean, they may, they may not have been in, uh, intending to get him in trouble. Maybe they were just taking him to the Pharisees to kind of get confirmation. You know, you, you religious leaders, tell us, tell us if, this is, if this is right here, if what's going on really happened, if it's true. So verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Notice again how he's identified now. Formerly blind because there's a radical change and he now sees. And there's something else um, at work here. Again, coming at it from the perspective of looking at the other side. This time, we, 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 we were just considering the, the, his neighbors and some observers. But this time we look at the Pharisees and his parents no less. And here's what, what you get. First of all, the, 
the Pharisees begin to interrogate him. In verse 14, John interjects this note. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So, verse 15 says, the Pharisees again ask him how he had received his sight. Now, see, that's why they're asking, because this is a Sabbath day, and they're they're looking for another opportunity to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. He made mud on the Sabbath. He healed a man on the Sabbath. To work because he worked on the Sabbath? Yeah, well, yeah, he did. I mean, if that's work, I don't, I don't think that was really against the law, but in their mind, it probably was. And just like uh, um, in other cases, um, you know, they, they accused him of working on the Sabbath. <clears throat> so that's why John points that out. It, this happened on the Sabbath, and they, they want to know how, how this happened. And the man testifies. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. <laughs> He's a matter of fact person. This guy's pretty sharp too, by the way. You see that when you read all the way through here. Uh, he, I mean, his theology is not all that great in places like we mentioned this morning, but, but he's, uh, he's got good common sense. That counts for a lot. Good common sense. So he says, he just tells him straight up, I washed and I see. He told me to go wash. I did it and I see. Jesus gave me a command. I obeyed. Guess what? I see. Some of the Pharisees said, verse 16, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Good question. There was a division among them, so they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He's a prophet. He knows, again, he's got um, some good common sense, even though he doesn't uh, have a lot of things straight yet. He knows there's something special about Jesus in the, in the right kind of way. I mean, he doesn't see him as a magician or, you know, some of the uh, Jews sometimes accuse, we just saw, um, he accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. He's not accusing him of operating by the power of Satan or anything like that. He knows, he's convinced he's sent from God. So he says, he's a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents, the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Now, now I know we've probably all read this many times, but just, just think about how odd this is as we're reading this exchange. Put yourself in their place. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, for we know that He is our Son and that He was born blind. But how He now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened His eyes. Ask Him. He is of age. He will speak for Himself. And then John gives us this little parenthetical note here, explanation, verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. In other words, excommunicated. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. Now, before I talk a little bit about that, let's, he's interrogated again by the Pharisees. I want to look at some of that. Um, 
they, they, they are asking the man again how it happened, and he, says, he basically says, I've already told you. And he says, why do you want me to tell you again? Will you be his disciple? And then in verse 29, they say, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, talking about Jesus, for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Now the man answered, that is the man who was healed. Wow, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to the sinner. You're going to hear some of his uh, common sense come out here. Like I say, maybe not all 100% right the- theologically, but, um, but uh, still, he's, 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 he's drawing some good conclusions here. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So, you see at this point, even though he's, he doesn't know much about Jesus and who Jesus really is, he's convinced that what has happened is a work of God. He's convinced that Jesus is from God. Now, here's their response. They answered him, verse 34, that is the Pharisees, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out, excommunicated from the synagogue. Now notice the disdain and the self-righteousness you were born in utter sin. I mean, they are indignant because this man is just speaking common sense. And, and he's amazed that they can't see it and that they don't believe it. And so they just fire back. Um, this is what in logic is called ad hominem um, to the man attack. When you, when you, when you can't refute the argument, Attack the opponent. You know, when you can't refute their argument, just attack them personally. And so that's what they do. You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? Now, here's the thing. I think one of the, one of the warning flags going up here that Jesus may, maybe intends in all this, and that John, as the author of this Gospel, maybe intends all this, and the Holy Spirit as He inspires... John maybe intends in all this, and this is one reason I likened it to the parable of the prodigal sons. Because there are some things happening here that we, we've got to, to really be um, on guard against. And I'm going to sum it up this way. And I think this can be applied to his parents and the Pharisees. And that is... There is a valuing of religion and tradition above truth and mercy. And I think this is, this is so much of a problem in our day, our own day, that we really, really um, need to hear what the Lord says in these passages, as well as others like the, the, uh, the prodigal sons, uh, the parable of the prodigal sons. There's, they are valuing, that is the people. In this case, the Pharisees and 
this man's parents, his own parents, who fear the Jews and fear getting booted out of the synagogue, they're valuing tradition and religion, or you could just say religious tradition, however you want to phrase it. They're valuing religion and tradition above truth and mercy. Let me, let me give you a, a, a reference here if I can find it real quick. I had, had it down this morning. Um, yeah, right here. Just a couple of chapters back. Um, this is one. There are a couple I have on mine. But seven, chapter 7, verse 24. There's something similar going on here. Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath and He's being condemned for it. And... Uh, Here's how. Here's part of the way he responds to it. Chapter seven, verse twenty-four. Um, he says. In fact, let me back up a little further than that. Verse twenty-one. Jesus answered them, "I did one work, and you all marvel at it." Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise the man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, in other words, he's saying you perform circumcision on the Sabbath so that you don't break the law. The law says the child has to be circumcised on the eighth day. If that happens to fall on the Sabbath, they still go ahead and do the circumcision, even though it's technically work. Um, they still do it because they have to keep the law. So Jesus says... You, you do that so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Now, look at what Jesus says here in verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with a right judgment. That's another place where a little common sense can go a long way, right? You've got a man being... Healed, made whole, he's been suffering. And in this case, in chapter 9, a man who's been blind since birth, and he's given sight. And all they're thinking about is their tradition, proper religious display, and that kind of thing. Instead of what really matters? A human being set free. I mean, the whole crowd ought to be dancing and rejoicing and praising God, and instead they're finding fault. And the man's own parents, in one sense, are turning their back on him. I mean, you think, wouldn't you, that they'd be stepping forward and just saying, Hallelujah! Our son, he was born blind. You know, we, we, we've mourned over that all of our lives. We wish that He could see like other saw. And now He can see. And instead, they're worried that, oh my gosh, this is going to get us kicked out of the synagogue. This is not going to look good because this is just not the way we do things at our church. So they place more value on religious ceremonialism, religious activity, right standing with 
the religious crowd, religious leaders in this case, um, more value on that than they do truth. Now, the truth about who Jesus is and the truth about who the Messiah is and how the Messiah operates, the truth about the kingdom of God, the truth about what it means to be a child of God, the truth about what it means to be set free. You know, we were just reading that in chapter 8. Jesus says, if you continue in My Word, you're My disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, He's talking about something greater than being free from other political structures so that you can have your own earthly kingdom. He's talking about freedom from the power of sin and its consequences. And even freedom, in some cases like this, freedom from physical afflictions like blindness or lameness, leprosy, and so on. And there ought to be great rejoicing. Another soul set free. The elder brother in the story of the prodigals, he should have been dancing with his father saying, he's finally home. His father was saying, my son, my son was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. And the brother should have been echoing that. My brother was lost and he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. And instead... He was having a pity party. I've been keeping the law. I've been doing everything you said, Father. I've, I've been obedient. I've been working the farm while he's out partying. I've been doing everything I was supposed to do. You never killed a calf for me. He was so blinded by his own self-righteousness, he couldn't see that everything the Father had belonged to him. So he told him, Son, Son, all that I have is yours. He's basically saying, come on, join the party. Come in. There's a soul set free. Don't get so caught up in yourself and your tradition that you can't rejoice in truth and mercy. In Matthew 9 and Matthew 12, twice in Matthew, Jesus tells the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the other religious leaders, go and learn what this means. And he quotes from Hosea 6.6, 6, go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He's telling them, you're valuing the wrong thing. You're putting emphasis on the wrong thing. Now that kind of helps, I think, understand verses 40, uh, 39 through 41. Jesus said, for judgment, verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. And this is one of those places we need to say to ourselves and... and those in earshot, what Jesus often says Himself, let those who have ears to hear, hear. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near Him heard these things and said to Him, Are we also blind? They, they, they picked up on what Jesus was saying. This happened at other times too when He was telling parables. Are you talking about us? That's the idea here. 
He's insinuating something about we we know what you're talking. You talking about us? Are we also blind? And there's there's you know this again this disdain like they're coming out with a man healed now toward Jesus. Could you possibly be subject suggesting that we are blind us? It's absurd. It's kind of the idea. And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. That's the judgment. For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see. So He's taking blind people and giving them sight. He's safe. He's regenerating prostitutes, tax collectors, drug addicts, alcoholics, sex abusers. He's, he's taking those who are sick and in need of a physician and know they're in need of a physician and giving them sight. Healing them. And that those who do not see, or those who see, rather, may become blind. And what does he mean by that? That there are people out there, is he, is he saying there are people out there who, who actually can see spiritually? They understand, they know, they, they, maybe they love God, and judgment comes and they become blind. No, he's saying they think they see. They think they see. In fact, that's made plain in verse 41. If you were blind, that is, if you were really blind, truly blind, spiritually speaking, now is what we're talking about, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see. You see what he's saying? They think they see. They say. They claim to see. They claim to be righteous. I mean, just look at their attitude back in verse 34 toward the man who was healed. You were born in utter sin. The implication is you're not like us. You're not like us. You were born in utter sin. You're a sinner. And you're going to teach us You say, we see. And because you say, we see, your guilt remains. Judgment falls. You're made blind. Now I think one thing that happens in the parable of the prodigal sons it's not explicitly stated, but if you see the way the Father there deals, not only with the, the wayward son who returns home, but also the gracious way He deals with the elder brother who's self-righteous and having a pity party, I think there's a suggestion there that there's hope even for Him. if he repents. 
If not, like here, the judgment falls. So in other words, as long as they're saying, as long as we're saying, or whoever it is, as long as they're saying, we see! We see! We see! They're the ones that are blind. That poor blind beggar guy, born in utter sin. But we see! We've got it right. We do it right. We see, Jesus says, I came for judgment that you may be become blind. And that those who are blind may see, may see, may be set free from the darkness. Isn't it amazing? Uh, this is, you know, analogies only go so far. So, I mean, you turn the light on in this room and, you know, it's, it's light. It's not dark anymore. It, it has essentially one effect, I guess you could say. But Jesus is saying the judgment of God, in this case, light coming into the world, has a dual effect. To give sight to those who are blind. And to make those who think they see blind. Blinded by the light, so to speak. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you that you are you are the one who gives sight to the blind. Health to the lame. Life to the dead. Lord, we do want to confess, acknowledge our utter dependence upon You for spiritual life, for salvation, Lord, and for this continuing walk, this period of, and process of sanctification. We're dependent upon You all the way through. We can do nothing without You. So, Lord, we're so thankful for Your grace. Grace that is highlighted in passages like these. And grace that is displayed in our own experiences. And Father, we pray that we'll be faithful in representing You, representing Your truth, faithful in being like the man given sight here and proclaiming to the bewildered crowd, I'm the man, I'm the man. We're saved by grace. Again, we thank You and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.